video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch. Hello, my name is Justin Kluwer. I'm here today with Mark Hansen. And you're listening to the Bay Street Video Podcast. We go through all of the new Blu-rays and DVDs that have arrived at Bay Street Video. Still, um, they're ones that maybe were released a couple of months ago, and Bay Street is just getting them now. Well, we sure do have a whack load of new releases for you this week. So we said this before, but I'm going to say it again. We're really going to uh, skim over some of these because <laughs> I have never heard of them. And I could force myself to banter with Mark about maybe the topic or the title. But considering we have almost, mm, I don't know, 300 to go through today, we're going to have to uh, run through them, I think. Yeah, 75% of which are Kino titles, I think. Mm, Kino finally dumped their unwanted Blu-rays on your uh, porch. Do you think we could get jobs at Kino at this point? Or no, or because they'd be like, you're disparaging <laughs> our titles. And we're like, no, we love them. I know, that's the thing. No, it's all done lovingly, I swear. Uh, I mean, Kino will not stop releasing new titles that are coming out. I see them every day on Twitter and Facebook. I just ordered like a whack load more from July and August this week and like i swear their order sheets get longer and longer every month they oh get my one God. <laughs> but they seem to be going and like doing special feature stuff i'm excited for have you ever seen is it called variety yeah and it's about like a woman that like works at a porno theater and gets like obsessed with the man that's going yeah there. i actually saw that in film school we watched it in one of our classes um and i loved it it kind of introduced me to betty gordon who i've really i've liked a lot of her other films she was a big part of kind of the american independent film wave in like the 80s that like no wave movement but yeah i love variety and I've, it's nice that it's getting like a new restoration and blu-ray uh, new special edition too at first it looked like it was just gonna be a bare bones but she's involved with it yeah and i don't know why we're talking about kino titles that are not on the list I today <laughs> because i i just saw that today yeah and i was like oh wow variety. listen kino give us a call we'll work for you do you want to call this the uh kino sponsored bay street video podcast we'd love to do that i'm all for it i'm all for it we'll tailor the whole show around kino if that's what you want <laughs> kino <laughs> We'll disparage all the other labels and we'll talk, you know, good about all the Kino stuff. There was a podcast that did like Scream Factory titles. They were like the Scream Factory podcast. And they were like shut down by Scream Factory. <laughs> They're like, you are not officially affiliated with the Scream Factory brand. Look, there's no way Kino would shut us down if we did that. Because who else is talking about all the releases like us? Well, uh, we're going to get to Kino a little bit later because we're starting the cult section like we always do. And the first release is Orca the Killer Whale. Yeah. I was kind of excited for this because I haven't really watched the movie in a long time. I remember it being a little bit dull. But, you know, Killer Whale, Jaws ripoffs, love it. And then I looked at the back and I was like, there's no special features on this. What's going on? I know. I don't know what happened there because it's been, uh, you know, it was on DVD before, but not a great DVD or anything. But and... Umbrella did a special edition, didn't they? That had special features that do is not appearing on the Shout Factory disc. Yeah, and we were never able to get that Umbrella release in. We do actually get some of their releases in because they're usually all region. But for some reason, we can never get that in. Um I don't know what happened with this one. You think they would have been able to get more, but I don't know. Maybe they were strapped by yeah, rights issues. It looks like at the last minute something happened and they thought they were going to have more because this has like a commentary and a featurette and you're like, hmm, that's not usually um, Scream Factory's bag, but okay. And I'm sure people have been buying it. It has a great painted cover of the orca eating people. Oh yeah. I mean, the orca, you got to love the orca. I mean, personally, I do find the movie a little boring. I'm not going to lie. It definitely, I like it a 
lot at the beginning, and I love the orca in it. I love when the orca like headbutts the shark at the beginning and everything. That's great. And I mean, the the hamminess with the acting between both Richard Harris and Charlotte Rampling is amazing. And the fact it all takes place in Canada, too, on the East Coast, right? Oh, does it? Oh, I didn't it remember does. that. It does. Yeah, it actually does. Um, but I think at like the midway point, it just starts to turn into such a generic Jaws ripoff that like it just become jaws, becomes jaws at a certain point and then it's kind of just boring although the final showdown between richard harris and the orca is kind of kind isn't of it on like a uh, piece of ice like the it orca is, like jumps yeah. on and like <laughs> yeah. richard harris is like ah! <laughs> and i thought richard harris was gonna win and then he just well i guess spoiler alert <laughs> i mean the orca is the hero of the movie because it's taking revenge well that's the thing right i remember watching it um and i threw it on again before doing uh before this podcast and yeah the humans in it, with maybe the exception of Charlotte Rampling, are all such assholes that you're kind of just rooting for the orca the whole time. Like, Richard Harris gets what's coming to him, frankly. Moving from Scream Factory to Bay Street Video's new favorite boutique label, Dark Force, <laughs> we have Gates of Hell, double bill with Psycho from Texas. Ah, oh, this must be the great new Scorpion release of Gates <laughs> from Hell, a.k.a. Lucho Fulci's City of Living Dead. Right, Mark? You would be absolutely wrong on that one, <gasps> Justin. <What>? <laughs> we were not able to get that Gates of Hell release because I think, as we've mentioned before, that is an exclusive that Scorpion does for, with uh, Ronin Flicks. Uh, damn mm-hmm. you, Ronin Flicks. Please let us have <laughs> some of these Scorpion titles. Um, well, you're not going to get away with it if you start uh, It Was Damn You. I know. You'd be like, we love you. We love you, Ron- That's what I said. <laughs> uh, but, so I don't know, I guess Dark Force also, what's the deal with Dark Force? Do they have the rights to Gates of Hell, or are they just like, putting uh, this out? I think maybe Gates of Hell is, conti- is um, considered a public domain title in this form, because this is the American print of the Lucho Fulci film, not City of the Living Dead. So I think it has like some gore edited out, maybe some scenes missing. I'm not an expert on this, so I just know it's a different version. I think, wasn't this something, I think this is actually different though. I think this is the Umberto Lenzi Gates of Hell, is it not? It's, is it? From 89? I think this is actually the Umberto Lenzi one. What is the Umberto Lenzi gate, Gates of Hell? Yeah, it, it goes by the title The Hell's Gate. If if it's if you're looking up IMDb, that's kind of the direct translation. But as far as I know, so I think this is actually a totally different film now that I'm looking it up. So this was a Lucio Fulci Presents movie, and it was a TV yes, film from 1989. But why does it have the logo of people listening now can hear me and Mark typing away as we're trying to figure know, it out? Right? <laughs> it has the logo from the City of the Living Dead, I believe. It does. But no, this is actually, I'm looking it up now to double check, and this is actually the Umberto Lenzi film. So I think what they're doing is trying to trick people <laughs> into thinking this might be the Lucio Fulci one, but it's actually you not. You sure? That's what I'm that's what I'm seeing All here. Right. I, I'm trying to look it up now. I'm like on the Dark Forces Facebook page. I'm like, because it has the City of the Living Dead logo, though. No, I know. I know. It's confusing. Here, let me. I'm looking on Blu-ray.com. It is the Fulci one. Yeah. Is it the Fulci one? <laughs> okay. So maybe I'm wrong then, I Wait, guess. Wait, no. But here it says double feature of Umberto Lenzi's Gates of Hell and the rare 70s Grindhouse classic Psycho from Texas. But then when you look it up on Blu-ray.com, they don't have an official review of it, but they tag it with screenshots from the City of the Living Dead Blu-ray from, like, I guess, Blue Underground. So they think that it's the same one as City of the Living Dead, I guess. 
So what is this? What is this film, Dark Force? What are you put? What are you? Well, what are you trying? What are you trying to pull off on us? I'm looking at this one website, and they're very excited for Psycho uh, <laughs> from Texas, which is the double feature on this disc coming out. Yeah, well, one customer who bought it from us. I think we've only sold one so far because clearly everybody wants that Scorpion release. Most people are like, "Do you have the Scorpion release?" And we're like, "No, we have the Dark Force release." And they're like, "Oh no." One guy though who bought it was very excited about Psycho from Texas, so I guess that's kind of got a cult well, following. That sounds exciting, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm confused. These movies all kind of blur, blur together, together, yeah. These like Italian zombie horror movies. You know what? We'll know. never know while listening to this podcast. <laughs> well, it's it's on our shelf, you know? <laughs> yeah, crack it open. You'd think I would know what these things are that I'm I I'm literally reading a review now, and I'm like looking for Fulci or anything, and like it's not. Well, I'm sure I could just go out into the store and look at the actual packaging, but that would. Oh, this podcast, we need to run through things. I'm glad that we could. <laughs> I know, and we're spending so much time on this. Thanks, Dark Force. I could Thanks. edit it, but I know that like listeners want to take in all the suspense of us trying to figure it out exactly exactly (laughs) this is what our listeners listen to us so there's a whole bunch of dark forces release there's primal scream which is a film that i never heard about before and i looked it up online and people were selling it as oh it's like uh john carpenter's dark star meets the big sleep like a noir and i was like oh man i gotta get that uh not really it is a regional kind of like don doler style movie made by a bunch of uh, like 20 somethings in the early 80s and it is like a noir thing, which is fun, but it's not like on a spaceship. It's not Outland or anything like that. It just takes place in New Jersey. Oh, okay. And one of the big problems is the whole gimmick is that there's like an alien substance that like burns people up spontaneous combustion style, which are some really fun effects. But there's no like aliens or monsters or anything like that, which is like what these movies need. <laughs> but yeah, of it's course. definitely interesting, especially if you've never heard about it or you love that kind of regional filmmaking. And there's an amazing 48 minute documentary in which everybody on the production participates where they talk about like why the film was shot in 1984 but only released in 1989 because they didn't know what they were doing and it were way too ambitious when they made it (laughs) um we also have breeders which is from 1997 uh people may know this film as the one that had a um squishy cover when if you were a, a teenager at the video store that like i think it had blood in it and you could like push it and it was weird unfortunately these blu-rays do not have that cover it's got kind of a they've done a slip cover thing with it though where it kind of juts out a bit so they've done something with it's not yeah it's not squishy or anything but i always got this film confused with the 1980s breeder which breeders which i have seen but i've never seen this oh, one. Oh, maybe that's the one that has like the porn director tim kincaid made that one it's got a lot of alien rape in it which is like really really comes off yeah that was tim kincaid's thing he like shot them on essentially porno sets and uh, i have i think it's code red's released or maybe even it's scorpion of like mutant apocalypse or something like that i don't remember which one it is and i knew i shouldn't have bought it i'm like i'm not gonna like this but like i got it used and i'm like ah you got me now i remember picking up the 80s breeders in like a bargain bin at giant tiger for like two dollars and being really excited and then just finding it really boring and offensive So what's interesting about these dark forces titles is that a lot of them are not reprints of Code Red titles, but like Code Red has them. Some of them are actually retransfers. Like they went back to the masters and like color timed it differently before releasing it on Dark Forces. So we also have uh, the Giant Spider Invasion, which is probably Bill Rubain's most famous film. Yeah, this has been released a couple of times, I guess with a lot of these Dark Force releases. I know VCI had put out a special edition of this 
five, six years ago. So I'm not sure. This is like the ultra special edition now. So I don't know what exactly the difference is in terms of picture quality or anything. But they say it's restored. This I is think. the one where it's like VW bugs covered in like tarps to make them look like giant spiders. I always confuse this one with William Shatner's Kingdom of the Spiders. Yeah. A lot of spider movies in the 70s, right? Uh, Killer Be Killed is being released by Dark Forces as well, which is a karate movie. Never seen it. Heard it ain't so hot. Good cover, though. It's the guy, like, bursting through a um, brick wall. Love the cover. And this also was out previously from Scorpion, I believe, a few years back. Um for a real which we did have for a really expensive price point at like 40 some odd dollars so if you passed on that because of the price uh this is much much cheaper so we also have teenage hitchhikers again another title that feels like it's been released a million times (laughs) how many teenage hitchhiker movies are there i feel like there's a lot of movies with hitchhike hitchhiker i was confused this one was like girls and chains and stuff like that Uh, Dark Forces has another... Okay, there's two double bills here. We have God's Bloody Acre, exclamation point, So Sad About Gloria, and Cop Killers and Project Kill. Now, Cop Killers, I know because it was a Media Blasters title. It was on one of those big sets that they released. It's like three films. And Project Kill is a William Girdler joint, the director of Grizzly and The Manitou, which has the... um, is great because it stars Leslie Nielsen in a straight role. Love it. Love it. And Project Kill was a public domain title. Like, you see it on a lot of, like, Synergy DVD labels. So I'm sure there's probably a scan of a print because Dark Force and Code Red, they don't just do, you know, SD transfers or anything like that. So you know it's going to look real good. And then we have the most controversial Dark Force release of this week the backlot murders and chaos two films directed by david defalco who i should point out runs dark forces (laughs) oh it's all coming together now i think we mentioned this before though i i mean yeah i don't know i have no familiarity with david defalco's films other than just reading about them and how like gross and disgusting they are um and the fights that he picks with critics exactly yeah i remember obviously chaos was a huge deal i remember roger ebert gave it a really really bad bad review at the time as roger ebert usually did with you know crummy horror movies but uh yeah i'm pretty sure he took a lot of offense towards that review i'm pretty sure it has like a one out of a hundred score on metacritic right now when i was looking it up too <laughs> wait you look at metacritic i do i, I do. never visit that website oh uh, yeah i like i like metacritic i feel like it gives you a better consensus than like rotten tomatoes that's why you need honestly. to go to the people letterbox but yeah have you seen these films no and i have no plans on seeing them as well i know chaos is just kind of like a last house on the left rape revenge kind of rip off i'm sure it's not handled very delicately by him or anything yeah i don't know the backlot murders i was honestly a little more intrigued by just because of the plot but then knowing it's him that did it kind of sours me on it a little bit yeah Yeah, you know i feel like isn't somebody like scott bayo or something or or Corey haim one of those like 80s guys i think is in the backlot murders we were wondering why dark force released is it point doom the really odd film that we talked about and i bought it and watching it i figured out why it's because david defalco wrote it and he runs Dark Forces, <laughs> so of course it's going to come out. Is it Dark Force or Dark Forces? It's Dark Force. Huh. 
Yeah. Dark Forces rolls off the tongue a little bit easier, I would <laughs> it say. Does. Well, let's just call it Dark Forces going forward. The Dark Forces at work. At the Dark Codes Force. Red <laughs> Screams <laughs> yeah. Factory. So I guess that for David DeFalco, it's a pretty good gig then. You know, you become a filmmaker and then you kind of create your own label and you get to release your films in special editions. Wait, so. what's that? Gold Ninja Video? They're putting out some of Justin DeClue's films. There you go. <laughs> it's a great gimmick. Chip. You should take a page out of David DeFalco's I book. once heard that Ron Bonk um, did a film festival and he programmed his own film and gave himself an award. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> uh, we also have Countdown to Esmeralda Bay, a full moon title directed by Jess Franco and starring George Kennedy and Robert Forster. This is a 1989 <laughs> film. Is this released what on Blu-ray cast. or DVD only? This is just a DVD, so I don't know. I don't know if this was just a reprint from an earlier release they had. Um I don't know what the quality is going to be on this. It looks pretty bare bones. Yeah, well, um, they have a deal with the company that released this film, Eurocine. So maybe they have like standard definition masters that they can use. I haven't seen this film. This is way into the Jess Franco period where it's not as fun as like the 70s ones. He's doing more like commercial filmmaking. This is around his faceless uh, period. Uh, did you see that Full Moon is doing like a, they're trying to get into the boutique Blu-ray world? I heard about it. Yeah, I don't know what's up. We've never had a good uh, relationship with Full Moon because we never get their Blu-ray titles. We we get DVDs of their stuff from our suppliers, but for some reason they've only made their Blu-rays available as like direct order things from them. So I don't know if that's going to change coming. I up. would say they're probably going to run them through MVD, which they did like Laser I hope Blast so, yeah. and Puppet Master. Yeah, because that's where we get our Full Moon stuff from right now. But it's rarely Blu-rays. Like a lot of this stuff. Um, I don't know if this per- title in particular has a Blu-ray, but a lot of. Uh, their titles do ha- eventually get Blu-ray releases, and we just never are able to get access to We also to them. have Dynamo being released from VCI. This is the second entry in the uh, Pearl River Collection, which is a, a martial arts label that's run by Michael Worth, the author of the Bruceploitation Bible, also the co-star of Isaac Florentine's U.S. Seals 2, which I love. <laughs> and uh, Dynamo is a Bruceploitation film, which is, stars a guy named Bruce Lai, the greatest Bruceploitation actor. And the film is about him being a guy that's ripping off Bruce Lee and being exploited by a company throughout. It has <laughs> action great. choreographed by the Yung Wo Ping brothers, but it has really fun action. It's very abstract in the way that the storytelling is, but it's really fun and there's commentary on it. It's a remastered picture. He uh, Michael Worth also scanned his TV 16 millimeter print that cuts out like a bunch of story parts. So just the action in the movie. Uh, and there's like a little featurette on how kung fu films are remastered and yeah if you like martial arts films support this one because then more can be released otherwise they won't be yeah these are pretty cool releases this whole this whole line i'm into it yeah because the previous one was the leg fighters which you couldn't move any copies except for me we moved a couple you and somebody else (laughs) we also have um sub rosa speaking of ron bonk because he owns that company uh rega god of the monsters which is their dip into japanese keiju films these are or, well, this is a 2000-era film, which is actually the follow-up to another one called Rega God of the Sea, I think? Yeah, something like and that. And this is not a good movie. I bought this one, and I was like, oh, man, what a bummer. There's, like, no <laughs> miniatures in it. Like, nothing really gets crushed. It's all, like, CG stuff. There is a monster suit, and it stomps around. So if you're that desperate for some K2 action, <laughs> pick it up. And it's really cheap. It's, like, twelve ninety-five at Bay Street. Yeah, so. I-, I couldn't find much info on this when I was actually working ordering it in they don't have a lot on imdb or just anywhere so i i don't know yeah i think 
But, you know, kaiju stuff does really well for us, especially if it's at a cheap price. So. The Sub Rosa website is so weird because they don't list what special features are. They're like, there are special features. It's like, just put it on the website. Even though this one has a documentary, it's an hour long. And on the back, it says in Japanese. And I went, uh-oh. That means there's no subtitles, is there? Nope, no subtitles no. on the documentary. <laughs> Just raw footage. Ron Bach, what are you doing to I us? understand. It would have probably cost like $100 to get subtitles on it, so it's just not worth it. <laughs> Ron Bach must be rolling in it by now, though. Speaking Come on. of sleaze, um, Gutterballs is being put out by Unearthed Films, a name that I haven't spoken in a long time. <laughs> yeah, we don't usually get product from Unearthed Films in because it's usually... The work, like, the American guinea pig films or, like, you know, extreme Japanese gore stuff that doesn't really do well here. Their stuff just never really does well here. They used to be more, like, prevalent, I feel, like, ten years they ago, They did, right? yeah. They released some better stuff. I remember they released, like, Shram, Shram at one point from uh, Jorg, Jorg Buckery. Well, better stuff is definitely a stretch. Stuff that people know about a little more. Like, a lot of the stuff they release now, like... I have no idea what it is. They do a lot of, like, regional American, like, torture porn gore stuff, too. Oh, yeah. I don't like that kind of stuff. They are releasing a new version of Permutos, Lord of the Dead, which makes me very excited because I love that movie. I just read about that. Yeah, I just read about that. But so Gutterballs is a movie that I appreciate but I don't like very much. Ryan Nicholson was a guy who unfortunately passed away, I think only a year ago. Yeah, very recently. He was a special effects guy who worked a lot, and he directed these passion projects that are like the scummiest exploitation films that you have ever seen, filled with like sexual assault and like real gnarly gore. He did a film called Live Feed, at the same time that Hostel was coming out, which was essentially like another version of Hostel. And I remember there were like discussions at the time that Ryan Nicholson was like, I didn't rip Hostel off. It was in production at the same time. <laughs> I remember buying Life Feed at Rogers Video and like having the DVD and watching it be like, this is gross. But he always seemed like a super passionate guy. I love reading interviews with him. And I mean, Gutterballs is a film that they like went back and like, shot hardcore inserts during the rape sequence that you can like watch it yeah it's on the blu-ray too that's greasy well they really went all out with this edition like unearthed well according to the back of the box it says there's 40 hours of special features which (laughs) i I don't think that's true i think there's probably a typo there (laughs) yeah they might they might have messed that up but it is a really nice like two disc limited kind of collector's edition thing they're do they did like a standard blu-ray without the second disc as well but they uh they've really put a lot into this i mean yeah like you said i know he was really beloved in the horror scene especially in the canadian horror scene yeah he was canadian Um, wasn't he i believe he made all the films with his wife as well like it was like a partnership i believe they made um i think the other films are like hanger and there's one that's like i don't know it's like about like an ambulance or something like that going around killing people something like that I've never actually seen his films, but I always remember when they were coming out and just keeping tabs on his name. But yeah. And they're shot on, like, such sweaty, like, digital video, too, to make it, like, extra gross. But, like, people's heads are exploding, and it's, like, it's... I mean, Gutterballs is a slasher film. Yeah. So we also have the Immortalizer, a Vinegar Syndrome release. All I know is this is from the director of Gas Pump Girls, which makes me go, no thank you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know much about this one. Uh, but we also have High 8, Horror Independent 8, 
a movie a long time coming. I think it was made like a decade yeah, ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. And I think it did get a DVD release already that, and I think this is a reprint from like either, I think Wild Eye either picked up the rights after somebody else dropped them or something. But they're kind of repackaging it as like a new thing, even though it was made, I think, in like 2013 or something. I'm going to take a guess and say DVD only. It's DVD only, yeah. <laughs> but all the kings of... Uh, shot on video stuff because obviously there's no women that work in shot on video yeah clearly. Uh, so you got ron bonk donald farmer marcus koch tony masiello tim ritter todd sheets and brad sykes wow. all together uh, making a bunch of short films <laughs> bunch of dudes making dude movies <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so we also have two releases from Kino as part of their Forbidden Fruit sub-label, Marijuana and Narcotic, and Tomorrow's Children, Child Bride. Yeah, these things are, they, they've released, obviously, we've talked about the other ones. They Reefer released. Madness, they did Mom and Dad. And they kind of released the bigger ones up front, like Reefer Madness, and they sold well. They're, the sales are kind of tailing off for these. They're really plumbing the depths of these, like, scare films from the 30s. I think these are always kind of fun, though. I, I don't know, you know... How many people? I figure. I wish they kind of just put a big box set out of all this stuff. Yeah, together, me too. Was like a bunch of special editions instead of trying to like milk an audience. Yeah, you know, I would have definitely picked up a special, like a box set of all of them instead of like trying to get every individual release for like twenty five bucks each. You know, it's going to happen when they're all released, right? Yeah, they're going to do that. <laughs> we also have uh, Pretty Smart being released by Scorpion. This is. Uh... Schoolgirls, played by Trissa Lee Fisher and Patricia Arquette, discover their headmaster, Dennis Cole, sells drugs and videos of co-ed horseplay. Ew, gross. This is from a guy who's mostly known as a producer, but he also directed, like, the sequel to the Kickboxer reboot. He also did Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, well, he's he's produced, yeah, I think he's produced all those new Kickboxer ones, but he directed one of them, right? This is right in Scorpion's wheelhouse, though, you know, another, like, sleazy 80s comedy. But Patricia Arquette in like one of her earlier roles, like right after Dream Warriors, I think. MVD is also putting out Sukiyaki Western Django on Blu-ray. I got excited because I was like, oh man, there's like a 50 minute making of on this Takashi Miike like Western. And then I went, wait a minute, I have this on DVD. Is that making of on it? I just never watched it. Yep, it is. Yeah, MVD didn't do much for this one. Usually, you know, I don't think, I think that's why it's not billed as one of their collectors. Uh, they did bring the extended, like the original original uh japanese cut which has never been released in north america only in standard definition but it is included on the blu-ray um i gotta be honest the edited down version is much better and you don't miss anything in the movie but people missed out i don't know if it's out of print uh didn't like a big company put it out uh yeah it was put out initially by first look which was like an indie label that uh like an indie distributor that just went under at a certain point they distributed it first like when it uh came off the festival circuit uh so yeah the dvd's been out of print for a while it's never been on blu-ray so yeah this is a big deal for Mike fans um i can't say i'm actually that big a fan of this movie but you know how i feel about westerns so yeah the fact that they all speak phonetic english never makes me uh not laugh yeah i don't know I, that just got old for me like really fast when i first saw it but it's been i haven't seen it since it came out so i'd be willing to give it another did watch. you ever see the luc moulet film who was like part of the french new wave a girl uh is a gun or a girl and a gun 
Pokemon? No, I, I know which one you're talking about. But yeah, I've never seen that. Yeah, it stars Jean-Pierre Léo, the star of 400 Blows, is like a teenager. And like he, the director's preferred version is dubbed in English. And Jean-Pierre Léo has a deep voice like this the entire time. It's very funny. <laughs> Speaking of stuff in English, I would highly recommend it. That's the director, Luc Moulet, that like Arrow's got to be waiting in the yeah, wings or Kino to like release a Blu-ray version. He's still alive, too. They could get his involvement. Yeah, but I could see Arrow going after something like that. It's a little bit like cultier, like Criterion would pass it over probably. Yeah, Criterion would pass it over. That I want that and I want Arrow to get into the filmography of Raul Ruiz. Oh my god, I hope so. Somebody needs to put out some box sets of that stuff. I just picked up the Facets box set of his films. I found it used somewhere. I'm like, mm, I don't own any of his films and he made a hundred of them. How are these not released on any format? Do you know he made a movie with... Um, Oh, it's like a Baldwin. I think he made an Adam Baldwin film, like Shattered Mirror or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People are like, what are they talking yeah. about? I don't even know. <laughs> well, look up Raul Ruiz, one of the most prolific filmmakers of all oh, time. Oh, yeah. I mean, speaking of Mike, they link together. There you go. That's how it connects. Yeah. Seriously, there's always something new to discover with, with Raul Ruiz. And, whoa, this is a big release I've been waiting for a long time to see coming up <laughs> I know. next. You've been hounding me for weeks since we reopened the store about when this is coming out. <laughs> it's Sylvester Stallone's. I see you, a.k.a. <laughs> Detox. And this was a big deal for MVD. They had been hyping this release up for like a year, I think. I think they mm-hmm. first announced this like a year ago. And then it got pushed back initially. I think it was supposed to be a rewind title. And then it wasn't. Yeah. And I don't know why. Maybe the director didn't want to get involved? Maybe, yeah. And now it's just kind of like a regular Blu-ray or like a marquee release or something like that. So for people that don't know, there's a Sylvester Stallone film that is famous because it's the only horror film that he ever made. It's a slasher picture. And it was the first Stallone picture to go direct-to-video. Yeah, which it wasn't supposed to at first. No, it, got it wasn't like, supposed to. Because it was supposed to get a big theatrical release from, I believe, Universal. I think Ron, wasn't uh, Ron Howard and Brian Grazer's production company involved with the making yes, of it? Yes, Ron Howard. Howard was involved in the reshoots, I think. Basically, what happened was they did a test screening of the film, and it tested so poorly that they did, like, not that many reshoots. to make it sound like a lot, and they completely re-edited the film. So, like, the original work print was, like, a holy grail. Like, what could it be? What was so bad that they had to, like, completely recut <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So that's why this edition was kind of a big deal. They have included the original... Well, the original version, right, which was called Detox, um, as not as a Blu-ray. Was it called Detox or was it called ICU first? I think it was called Detox first or it was because it was released theatrically in the UK and in some European territories. And I think they called it Detox for that theatrical release. But then for the home video release in... In North America, they just change it to ICU. I didn't watch both versions. I uh, started watching the theatrical one, and I went, all right, let's go to the original cut, see what the difference is. And the differences are pretty vast in the way that the story is told. And they made a real mistake of how they, like, re-edited it. Now, let's start with the negative. This is directed by the guy who did I Know What You Did Last Summer. I've listened to the commentary <laughs> on that. Yeah. The director thinks he's so much better than the horror films that he's making. Like, he's like, I don't want to make a gore film or anything like that. It's like, what? Even though that, like, it's obvious that he studied, like, giallos and he's, like, ripping them off. And so you have, like, a lot of stock uh, sequences in this and, like, Black Love Killers and stuff. And, like, he has, like, a gimmick. It's basically, like, a remake of Umberto uh, Lenzi's Eyeball. Like, he likes to stab people in the eye, hence the title I See You. (laughs) I See You. (laughs) So the plot um, is that Sylvester Stallone goes to a detox center, like, in the middle of, I don't know, Alaska or Alberta or something like that. (laughs) It's like Siberia, Siberia, it looks like. 
with a whole bunch of other character actors who also play police officers. And it's really funny because it's like one character actor is like the London police officer. He's like, hello. And the other one is like um, yeah. from the South or something like that. Robert Patrick is there. Uh, Charles Dunning. Chris Christopherson. Yeah, Chris Christopherson. There, yeah. And they're all ex-cops. Oh, yeah. And the serial killer only kills cops, too. Yeah, that's his thing. So basically the big difference is the film was originally structured for the first 30 minutes in a flashback structure. So Sylvester Stallone starts as a broken man going to the detox center and throughout... He like will like hold up an object and it'll trigger a flashback. And the flashbacks are not in chronological order, which I think is why the studio was like, what is going on? Like <laughs> you'll see something from, you know, uh, right before the big thing happens. But then the next flashback will be like in the past with Sylvester Stallone and his wife. But the problem with that is when they re-edit it into linear is that the first 30 minutes are so like eventful because that's all the eventful stuff that was put at the beginning. So then when he gets to the detox center, it's like 40 minutes of nothing because those scenes were supposed to be punctured by like the chase and the horror stuff. Now, having not seen the director's cut or the original cut, I'd seen the like the original, the ICU cut when it when it came out. And yeah, I agree with you. I remember being really into it for the first half hour when you get like all this traumatic backstory for Stallone and then. You know, at the point where he goes to the detox center, and that's like the point I was more excited for going into it. I kind of liked that part less than the the earlier part of the movie, so I kind of would be intrigued to check out the flashback version. But you're said you said it's not necessarily that much better. It's not that much better. I think it's more interesting. It also has a complete different score uh, by the composer because when they changed versions, they toss the entire score out and it plays throughout the movie as well which is a big difference and there's like really subtle changes like lines are changed and you know it's enough to be a completely different movie when you watch it so interesting the only thing that's missing that i miss from the theatrical version is at the end he kills the guy on like this big spiky contraption and then he picks the guy up again and drops him back on it <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great moment. Yeah, and uh, that's not in the original theatrical cut. Oh, that's dumb. But we were saying, too, after we were chatting about this, that a few years later, a little film called Mindhunters came oh, along. Oh, which is the much better version of this, yeah. Pretty, I mean, it's not a detox center, but it's like a it's a training camp sort of thing for FBI agents. Uh, on an island? <laughs> on an island, yeah. And they're getting picked off one by one. And you get a lot of character actors there with like Val Kilmer and Christian Slater, people like that. That film is way more entertaining. A company like MVD or even like Shout Factory must have Mindhunters on their schedule somewhere. Somebody must. Like it's still available on DVD from, I think, Lionsgate. Because it was part of the Miramax Dimension. Oh, it's a Lionsgate movie. That's why. Well, it was part of the Miramax Dimension thing. And then Lionsgate acquired all that. So they just have the rights to that. So I don't know if there's ever going to be a Blu-ray of that. so good. I know, I know. Uh, I would easily recommend this film if it had like a Blair Witch 2 style commentary track with the director where he's like ah they fucked up my movie what did they do but unfortunately he's not involved and other than the original cut the interviews on the disc are all stuff that were shot for like an EPK at the time of the film's release and they're just like uncut like five minute interviews with all the cast members so you know for the real detox heads Obviously, you're going to buy it. You got to get it. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I don't think anybody else need apply. Are are there detox heads out there, though? (laughs) When I posted my review on Letterboxd, a lot of people were like, whoa, the original cut is out. I actually like this movie. So, yep, they're out there. I have heard rumblings over the years about the the original cut and everything and people wanting that. Uh, MVD is also putting out 
2009's Possession. What is this movie, Mark? <laughs> so, um, you know, I guess this is a cult movie. I didn't really know where to put this. So this is a 2009 horror movie starring <laughs> Sarah Michelle Gellar. I know it's the name Possession. <laughs> I know there's been like a thousand movies called Possession, but yeah, this is from 2009. So MVD, I guess, also acquired recently the catalog of Yari Film Group, which was a independent label that came up in the wake of Crash winning Best Picture. So the uh, winner, the producer of Crash, Bob Yari, after Crash was such a huge success, I guess was given the clout to start his own like mini independence label up. And they released a bunch of movies between 2006 and 2009, I would say. So a few more, which we're going to talk about in the classic section. <laughs> and I then they went bankrupt, I guess, because a lot of these movies weren't very good. This feels good. like a movie that you would watch. Have you seen this? I did watch this. <laughs> I, I watched, knew you did. Yeah, I watched it for the first time this week. Um, so the thing with this movie is it was supposed to come out in theatrically, I think, in like 2007. And then because the Yari Film Group started going bankrupt and they weren't making any money, it got delayed and then it got shelved and eventually it just got like dumped straight to DVD. So I think it had an initial DVD release, but... But now it's being put out again on Blu-ray. So um, this movie, it bills itself as a horror movie. It's basically about Sarah Michelle Gellar. She ha- her husband has a brother played by Lee Pace, actually. I think oh, we've maybe Lee talked Pace. about it before. Mr. Yeah. Pushing Daisies himself. Yeah, who's just gotten out of prison. He's kind of like, you know, rough around the edges. But, you know, he's got a strong bond with his brother. So he's living with them. And then after some horrible accident, the brothers get in a fight. They both get in a car accident and the Sarah Michelle Geller's husband dies, but the brother survives, making it awkward. But not only does Lee Pace's character survive, he also comes back saying he is the husband. So it's one of those movies. He's like, no, I am your husband, even though he's not. So it kind of turns into like a really maudlin sort of like sent a, like spiritual love story after that you know where she like starts to fall in love with the really like with the brother who was really vile and gross to her before they got into this accident like he was a real asshole to her but now he's she's like starting to love him there may be some twists or turns along the way here which i won't spoil um but yeah, I don't know. I think it's they're trying to bill it as a horror movie. But if you're going into this looking for a good horror movie, it's not really about the scares. I don't think there's a ton of scares in it. It's mostly kind of like a ghostly. It's like ghost, basically. <laughs> but, you know, trying to bill it a little more like a horror movie. The interesting thing about this release is, though, and I, I think MV, I don't know if MVD is doing this consciously or not. Sarah Michelle Geller made another kind of like crappy horror movie around that time which went uh did go to theaters but briefly called the returned i don't know if that rings a bell another generic title the returned um which had a poster of like a gray eyeball and everything one of those typical like horror movie posters so possession on the dvd menu and some and the covers has copied that poster of the return exactly but then just put possession on it even though that wasn't the poster for the original film back in 2009. So when it was first coming out and I was ordering it, I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen this movie because I've actually I had seen The Return. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing that movie. It was kind of crappy. And I'm looking it up again and thinking like, no, this is actually a completely different movie that I guess MVD, whether unconsciously or not, is sort of rebranding as this other Sarah Michelle Gellar horror movie. 
I don't know. Questions. Can fans tell the difference? We're talking about two, like, forgettable horror movies from the late 2000s that nobody remembers. But, I mean, I would say The Returned is more of a horror movie. That's, like, she plays, like, a reporter, I think, going back to, like, a small town. Wait, isn't the, like, poster for The Grudge also an eye? Yeah, I think The Returned. And also, it kind of was reminiscent of The Skeleton Key, which was around that time. There was oh, a lot of... How these- dare you? The Skeleton Key is a classic. Oh, I, I love The Skeleton Key. Big fan. <laughs> All right. So, moving on to classics, we have Hair everyone's favorite musical and this the week's blind by blind by we should sing blind we should we should have sung a blind by song which is for like this um, it's the age it's this week's of blind, blind by, by. <laughs> so this was your pick this week and you forced me to watch a musical yeah because you almost forced me to watch a music last week and i was like no! <laughs> i did i did i'm actually surprised i haven't seen the hair musical I guess it's my dislike for hippies that kept me from seeing it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even though I do love Treat Williams, and he does star in this film, even though I thought he was just a supporting character. And I didn't realize Treat Williams was actually like a musical theater guy beforehand. <laughs> I guess I just... He was? Yeah, apparently he was on... I, did, I don't know if he was part of the original cast of Hair, but he was from like the theater world. He did musical theater Do you before. know that uh, he was briefly part of like the new filmmakers like Spielberg and Lucas to the point that he was hanging around with them so much. He appears as a like rebel um, soldier in empire strikes back. Oh, no way. I did not yeah, know he that. Does, Cause he's uh, one of the leads in Spielberg's 1941. He right. plays like a weird, like rapist soldier. Okay. Who's, like Chasing after the girls in the movie. A uh, treat Williams for people that don't know star of the classic deep rising. <laughs> Now what? And the and the substitute two, three, and four. <laughs> oh yeah, is it Tom Berenger who's in the first substitute? He's in the who? first one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so hair as a musical. Lots of songs. It's directed by Milos Forman, a favorite of Mark, even though on the episode where he said that, I quizzed him and he's like, I haven't seen any of his movies. <laughs> okay, I've seen, now I've seen Hair, I've seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Amadeus, People vs. Larry Flint. Uh, Man on the Moon, definitely. Man on the Moon. Not the Fireman's Ball. No, I haven't seen his early Czech stuff, so clearly I'm not the biggest Milos Forman fan that I said I was, but... Milos shoots the crap out of this movie, and oh, man, supposedly yeah. the stage play is very kind of like, you know, there's a story to it, but it's kind of just like a bunch of songs strung together. And he does a really good job of integrating the music within the narrative that he's telling and have the music kind of appear organically in what's happening. Not organically in the sense that there's like a reason for people to sing, which I hate. Never do that, <laughs> movies. But for like it to work with the story when originally there weren't these storytelling elements around it. I looked online. They changed a lot of stuff. Like originally the gang was led by a woman not a man, which I like better the woman, but you know, movies in the seventies, we can't have that. And that everybody was a hippie. There was no like incoming new person in the gang, which is the story is John Savage. Everyone's kind of like John Voigt lookalike guy. The guy you're like, who, what's he from again? Is being shipped to Vietnam. And on the way there, uh, he stops in New York and just hangs out with a bunch of hippies led by Treat Williams. And they hang out and they meet uh, Beverly D'Angelo from National Lampoon's Vacation. And they get involved with her and, you know, they sing songs, they get in prison. What I really enjoyed about the movie was that there was actually no, like, interpersonal conflicts with, it, with anyone in the hippie group, which I kept expecting. No, yeah. It was all, like, outside conflicts. Yeah, exactly. It's mostly, like, the world coming after them. 
My big issue with the movie is that the music's just not that good. Okay, you're not a fan of the song. Uh, I'm a fan of, like, the hits. I'm a fan of some of them. And I also found it got, like, real meandering in the middle where I'm like, what's going on? Like, what is the plot of this movie? Yeah, I would say it's it's a little confusing to get your, get your getting your bearings straight at first. You don't really know who these characters are or, like, what the hell they're doing half the time. But I kind of chalk that up to a lot of these 70s sort of like surreal experimental rock opera kind of thing that like Tommy had done already. Things like that. Oh, love Tommy. Love Tommy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I was reading that the creators of the musical weren't happy with this movie at all. Like they did not like the direction that he took. They didn't like the changes that he made or anything the like that. The big issue that they did not like was that the film is not about the peace movement that the hippies represented. If anything, it's more about like a group of people and how they're friends, which I think actually works better. Uh, especially with time proving that the hippies just became like 80s fat cats anyway. Yeah, they're just boomers, right? Yeah, <laughs> and they essentially destroyed everything. So for it to just be a story about a group of friends works better in the context of the movie. And I just said the film is meandering. Man, that ending is a gut punch. Though. I was going to say that, yeah. And I mean... I think the ending does kind of bring it back around to the peace movement, at least for me. I mean, it does end on a big pro, like a real protest that was going on. And yeah, man, that ending hits you like a gut punch. Like, I have to say, I I really enjoyed this film. I was actually like really taken with it. Yeah, I do think it meanders a bit. And there were moments I could feel myself like losing focus here and there. But overall, I was really taken by, like you said, the way he films it. The way he integrates the real locations and the kind of fantastical elements of them singing and everything. I love the moment where one of the characters is confronted by his, I guess, former girlfriend who he had a child with. Oh, that's with. a great song. And then she sings a song about like how he's not yeah, nice. Yeah, and you think at my first reaction, having no knowledge of the, pl- of the play or the film before, was that this character was just going to be like tossed away and, you know, wasn't. But then she's given her whole number and then she becomes part of the group too and everything. And it's like... It's really nice. And I like how he he goes from moments where it's kind of like naturalistic, gritty 70s cinema to like these surreal kind of musical numbers and he blends them really nicely. But yeah, I have to say, like in the end, you know, it's kind of it's kind of jaunty. They've got this plot figured out to try and break John Savage's character. Yeah, it's like a caper. Yeah. Even when Treat Williams dresses up as a cop to, like, infiltrate the the military base to break John Savage, it's all played very tongue-in-cheek, like, oh, this is just like a ploy. And then, like that, he is just shipped to Vietnam, and he's dead. And I was like, and then it ends, it's just over at that point, and you're like, wow. And I I think he really achieved the goal of the film with that ending. I think he really shocks you, and that really brought it... You know, before I was enjoying it, but that ending really kind of brought it to a different level for me. So I, I really enjoyed it. I have to say, I was reading reviews um, after I watched it, and I was seeing a lot of people like didn't like the hippies, and I thought that they were pretty. They didn't really do anything bad. They like crashed a rich person's party. It's like who cares? <laughs> yeah, like what? What's the problem? Here? <laughs> yeah, and there's actually a great scene where Treat Williams is singing and walking down a big long table, and people in his gang are all like pulling the uh silverware and plates out of his way so he can't smash it (laughs) that's good (laughs) no it it was really good and uh i did watch this new transfer from olive um so it has been out on blu-ray before and just like a bare bones studio release but olive's put it out as part of their signature edition line and uh they've got like some new special features on it um some stuff that wasn't on there before but the transfer looks really crisp i don't know 
if it looked this good before. I didn't see the previous Blu-ray, but it looks beautiful. So they really restored it. Somebody really restored it and put it out there. So it looks nice. It sounds better than ever, too. So if you're a fan of this musical or just a fan of musicals from the 70s at all, I would say this is a must buy. I have a giant book about 70s musical written by Lee Gambin, who does like a lot of commentaries. And I keep okay. looking at him like, I got to read it one day. And I'm sure it has a giant <laughs> chapter on hair. Would you blind buy this then? Yes, I would. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I enjoyed it enough. Even if it sounded like I was a little tepid, it'd probably be something I'd buy. And I'd probably like more when I watch it again, now that I know its form and yeah. I know where it's going then I would probably enjoy it. You know, I once heard someone say that when you watch a musical, it's always best to listen to the album a few times before you see it. Right, not too many yeah. times, but then you're not like taken aback and you can better appreciate everything that's happening visually as well as the music. Yeah, it makes me really interested to see uh, his Milos Forman's next film to Ragtime, which I've never seen either. Which is not a musical, uh, though, I believe. Which is not a musical, but does have, doesn't it have musical parts in it or something? And so or? there is a Ragtime musical, and I think yeah. it may be based on the same source material. Okay. Uh, but I'm not sure. That's a Brad Dourif picture, I think. I think he has like a big role in that so. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Love myself some Dourif. But I believe he brought a lot, some of his collaborators from Hair over to that after. Maybe it is a musical. I, I remember starting it and being like, this is not a musical, and like tossing it to the side. <laughs> Turn it off, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or even worse, a diegetic musical. <laughs> so uh, Criterion is putting out Come and See, a movie that people are very excited about. This is like oh, yeah. the downer of all war films. <laughs> like, if you want to feel bad, turn this one on. Yeah, this movie is heavy. So I actually just watched this for the first time because I've been meaning to see this for years. And it only kind of existed in a really not so great looking DVD from Kino actually back in the day. It was one of their early DVDs. So I kind of put off watching it for a long time because I wanted, I heard how beautiful it looked and how much of it like a sensory experience it is and yeah i watched this new criterion disc and holy shit this film is heavy um as you would expect for a film about you know seeing world war ii through the eyes of like a young belarusian boy as his country's being invaded basically um but yeah this film is is great i mean obviously everybody knows it's great everybody says it's great there's i don't i don't really have much more to add to the conversation other than other than it's like it really is a sensory experience and you can really see how film more recent films like um son of saul or something like that have really taken a lot from this because it is very like first person pov the camera's always moving on a steady cam you're just like there in the fields thing you know people are like bodies are everywhere things are bombs are going off everywhere like atrocities are just happening everywhere around this young kid and it's just focused on this young kid's face for like so much of it as he turns from like and he's like a 15 year old boy i think and as he turns from this like bright-eyed kid who like can't wait to join the resistance to fight in the war to like looking like a haggard old man by the end of it um it's a fantastic film, and it's never looked better. Uh, it looks and sounds amazing. So if you've been waiting to watch this or if you're already a fan of this film, this is like the definitive version of it. It's not going to get any better than this. Justin McClue says, good movie. Moving on. <laughs> uh, Vinegar Syndrome is putting out Patty Hearst. What? The Paul Schrader movie. That's because Vinegar Syndrome recently made a deal with MGM and they'll be releasing some of their titles. Radioactive Dreams, Radioactive Dreams. Yeah, I know, I right? started to hunt uh, or not hunt, because that sounds very um, 
threatening. I started to uh, post on the Blu-ray forums, which is, you know, where everybody talks about Blu-rays, mostly because my signature includes, like, listen to the Bay Street Video Podcast. We got to get new listeners somehow. nice, nice. And I saw someone post that. (laughs) There's a rumor they're doing Alien from L.A., which is an Albert Pune movie. And I'm like, oh, man, please. I want to get in on that disc. Yeah, you need to be interviewed on these discs. But, yeah, Patty Hearst, Paul Schrader film, great great movie paul schrader at his most experimental where he was really trying a like real wild and crazy stuff and it completely works it was kind of dismissed when it came out but most people who watch it now definitely can see like oh yeah this was one of his great movies and it's a shame that it was kind of tossed aside to the point that like paul schrader does an interview on this disc but doesn't do a commentary which is weird oh weird yeah no, I, I got to see this. I, I'm a big Paul Schrader fan, but I've never seen this one because it, it's never. And this is a big deal because it's never been really available since the VHS days, as far as I know. I think um, there was a Snapper DVD that was released. Oh, was of there? It. Okay. Yeah. And it, they may have aired on like HD channels, but never a physical release of it like this. Right. Okay. So, Mark, we're going to start. We're already like 50 minutes in. Oh, my God. So we're going to start running. <laughs> All right. Uh, Keynote This will be a relay race. What's going to happen is I'm going to say the title. I'll. Try to give a little description. You say something after that, then I jump to the next title. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> okay? Let's do it. Rapid fire. All right, ready? Rapid fire. There's a Barbara Stanwyck collection. It there includes is. Interns Can't Take Money, The Great Man's Lady, and The Bride Wore Boots. Everyone yep, loves Barbara Stanwyck. Yeah, everyone loves Barbara Stanwyck, right? <laughs> yep. Film Noir, The Dark Side of Cinema 2, includes Thunder on the Hill, The Female Animal, and The Price of Fear. Why should we be excited about this, Mark? Film Noirs do really well, and if you like this, there's a Volume 3 and a Volume 4 coming out soon. I hope one of them is all jungle movie-based. That's for people (laughs) that listened to our last episode. Uh, We also have Kino putting out Murder by Decree, one of the great Sherlock Holmes films, directed by, nope, not Canada's own, because Bob Clark was not Canadian, but he did work in Canada You know what? He's an honorary Canadian, as far as I'm Uh, concerned. Christopher Plummer plays Sherlock Holmes and he has to hunt down Jack the Ripper with the help of psychic Robert Lee played by Donald Sutherland we also have Alice in Wonderland the Norman Z. McLeod um, adaptation that has Cary Grant and W.C. Fields in it from 1933 you ever see this one Mark? never seen this one always been intrigued I love Alice in Wonderland I know this one's kind of like one of the premier sort of adaptations apart from like the big Disney animated one Uh, we also have a I'm gonna keep saying we also have because this list never ends (laughs) we're Uh, gonna be talking about Kino for the next like 20 minutes uh, here Taza son of the I'm not gonna say this word right Cochise. Cochise. Uh, this is a Douglas Sirk picture, which is notable for being shot in 3D and it's being released in 3D. Is this like a 3D archives uh, co-prod? Yeah, I believe it is. Um, or it actually, no, I think it's just a regular Kino Studio Classics one, but it is in 3D. Um, this also is probably notable for, you know, being super offensive nowadays because it has Rock Hudson and Brownface, yeah, playing an Apache. I just took one look at the back and I'm like, Jesus, that doesn't look uh, We good. also have an Inspector Calls, which is a Guy Hamilton film. Man, he's had so many movies released lately. Alistair Sim, too. <laughs> I think they remade this recently as like a British miniseries oh, or something. Oh, I think they did because the title seems they familiar. They did, yeah. We also have The Captive Heart, which is a Basil Dearden film. In 1940, a Czech soldier played by Michael Regg is pursued by the Nazi secret police to conceal his true identity he pretends to be a dead British soldier but to keep the lie going he must also write to uh, Mitchell's wife Celia Mitchell being the dead soldier as her dead husband from the POW camp where he's in prison. Meanwhile, his fellow prisoners are beginning to suspect that he is not who he claims to be. Ooh, hair-raising stuff. (laughs) You know, people love Basil Dearden, I'll say that. We got two Leslie Norman films, a director I'm not familiar with, The Long and the Short, 
and the tall, aka Jungle Fighters, and the night my number came. Yeah, up. not really familiar with either of these. I mean, they got great casts. Uh, they definitely will appeal to our kind of crowds here. Kino's really digging up a lot of these like '40s and '50s war action spy kind of western movies that haven't really seen the light of day before we have a thousand clowns a 1965 film about a free-spirited guy who avoids employment and regular way of life fights to maintain the custody of his nephew i wrote no actors or directors on here so i know nothing (laughs) about it uh, I believe Jason Robards is in this, and I believe this was nominated for some Oscars back in the day. Uh, <laughs> we'll Isadora, that. a 1968 film directed by Carl Reitz, who also had a film released last we, week, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been talking about him, This too. is the biography of a modern dance pioneer, Isadora Duncan, played by Vanessa Redgrave, and her tumultuous life. Jason Robards is here as well. (laughs) Wow, Jason Robards this week. The Last Valley, a 1971 film, when a military captain threatens to ransack a town as yet untouched by the 30-year war, a quick-thinking peasant persuades him to call a truce with the townspeople instead. Michael Caine acts in this movie. Yeah. You know, I look at these filmographies and I'm like, how many movies did these people (laughs) act in? It's crazy. Like, five, ten movies a year. (laughs) Right. Um, Lonely Are the Brave, directed by David Miller. Ranch hand Jack Burns, Kirk Douglas, feels out of place in the modern world. This is a big one for Kirk Douglas. This has always been popular on DVD. It's supposed to look really, really nice. Uh, big. It's a big deal because Dalton Trumbo wrote the screenplay, too. Uh, so it's it a big deal because things. it also stars Walter Matthau and my man George Kennedy. There you go. George Kennedy making another appearance. Uh, another release is A Man, A Woman, and a Bank. This is a film directed by Noel Black. A photographer, Brooke Adams, goes along with two men, Donald Sutherland and Paul. Paul Mazursky, we talk about him every week. <laughs> Paul Mazursky, friend of the podcast, Paul Mazursky. <laughs> Who are planning to rob a bank by computer. Sounds thrilling. Yeah, we had a rental of this and like nobody's touched it in years and years. I don't know. Who knows about what? this film? Where's all the Mazursky heads I don't know. at? Yeah, maybe not as an actor, you know. Man, the person who, like, said heads as um, an indication of fan must regret they ever said it in front of me. Because <laughs> yeah, we're working that term out on this podcast. I think it's so funny to put, like, whatever in front of it just because the idea of some of these people having fans, especially heads, <laughs> yeah, is so funny. I guess fish heads is probably where I hear it a lot, yeah, right? Like right? P-S-H-I, yep. yeah, like fish that's fans. Where it, did that, is that where it started? I don't, know. I don't think that's where it started, no. but I've heard... You know, people describe themselves as that. Uh, are you a big fish head? I know. I, I I don't care for fish. <laughs> I remember somebody where I worked at the Mexicala Rosa, where they had to let me go as a busboy because I wasn't fitting in. <laughs> that there was a guy that was obsessed with fish. I used to work with a guy who was obsessed with fish back in the my Rogers video days who went down to the U.S. to see them and then was busted smoking a joint at the concert and wasn't allowed to go back to the U.S. for like five years. Wow. <laughs> So Kino also put out Me, Natalie, uh, directed by Fred Coe. An ugly duckling attempts to redesign herself and struggles for independence. So she moves to Greenwich Village. Yeah. <laughs> Middling okay. 60s drama. <laughs> I mean, we talked about Jenny last week, that Alan Alda movie. I feel like this is part and parcel with that kind of thing. Those like late 60s sort of delicate dramas. So uh, Kino is putting out some great movies, though, like Narrow Margin <laughs> by Peter Hyams. Another one of my mans. Uh, this is one. Yeah, I, I'm reading like the him. synopsis now. Not only does it start Gene Hackman, but it takes place in a remote Canadian cabin. Yeah. Mm. 
I've always wanted to Sounds see good. this. This actually has a big fan base. We've been selling quite a few of these. So this is like wow. a pretty, you know, I love those like early 90s thrillers like this. I think it's just going to scratch that. I have a soft itch. spot for Peter Hyams. I like his movies. Oh, me too. I like how dark they are. I know. Like, you're like I can't even tell what's going on in Time Cop. <laughs> I know. <laughs> At the end of the movie. I love how bad his movies got too with like a sound of thunder or things like well, that. Well, you know what? He did come roaring back with Enemies Closer, which is a lot he of fun. He did. Yeah. He did. I forgot. And he did shoot his son, John Himes, uh, first Universal Soldier movie, which is actually really well shot. And oh, we've yeah. got another Gene Hackman movie, All Night Long from 1981. Never heard of this one, but Barbara <laughs> yeah, Streisand's in it. Barbara Streisand's in it. <laughs> I don't know. I, a friend of mine saw it. He said it was like a perfect thumb in the middle kind of movie. So Thumb in the middle? Like, yeah. So it's up like, your butt? Kind like, of where does up... the middle go? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's up, it's down, it's kind of in the middle. Justin, you do you know? call your butt the middle? Finger in the butt. <laughs> Doesn't it come halfway? From? Like, up your yeah, body? Right? Like, your butt that is the middle. That would just be a finger up the butt, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I really screwed up my SATs thinking that was what middle meant. Yeah. Even though we're in Canada and we don't take SATs. Wah, wah. No, SATs, what are those? Uh, we also have Steve Gutenberg starring in The Chicken Chronicles, a 1977 film about people working at a chicken stand. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, this one's directed by Frank Simon, who did some documentaries back then. Uh, he did Weekend of a Champion, which was that like Roman Polanski race car documentary thing. Was Roman did. Polanski did, racing yeah, cars? Yeah, with Roman Polanski in it for some reason. I think he was racing cars in it. Yeah, check it out. Weekend of a Champion. Or don't. <laughs> or don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Roman Polanski, bad. Even though yeah, that there's bad, a man. big special edition of The Tenant coming out soon. There is. There is. Uh, so another film, Thousand because it never ends. Thousand Pieces of Gold, uh, 1990 film directed by Nancy yeah, Kelly, one, a filmmaker I'm not familiar with. Yeah, this one I've actually seen. This is a pretty interesting one because this was a yeah 1990 western film that Nancy Kelly, who was it was her oh, first film. Yeah. She was yeah, because I read about this because they were doing online screenings of it. Yeah, basically. So I I had I reviewed it for one of those, which is where I first saw it. But she um, was a ranch hand actually, and then got into documentary filmmaking, and then got a budget to make this movie with American Playhouse back in the back in the day, and it played festivals, did pretty well, but it just never really got picked up much after that she apparently she never got any work after that she actually wrote a really interesting or they did an interview i think IndieWire did an interview with her recently where she was talking about how she basically just couldn't get in a room with anybody because she was a female director after that she like had some projects she was trying to pitch and just nothing ever went anywhere so she kind of just stepped away from filmmaking she made another couple like tv documentaries but this is a really interesting film and i'm not even that big of a western fan but it definitely it's kind of a mix of like your classic western she said she was inspired by like john ford people like that but it also you can trace sort of that film to like the more modern westerns of somebody like kelly reichardt in terms of like they're more like minimalist kind of uh kind of style and uh and the perspective is really interesting because it's about a woman who uh it's about a chinese woman who is basically sold into slavery by her her father to this like Amer to this on this American kind of like mining town and it's kind of from her perspective mostly uh, Chris Cooper's also in it as well as a love interest but it's mostly from this uh, it's played by Rosalind Chow who would go on to star in the Joy Luck Club a couple years later and get more acclaim for that but she's really excellent in it it's just a really like refreshing really cool little western film and I would highly recommend checking I it out I am going to have to pick this one up because I didn't realize it had been released I remember reading about it a few days it ago it looks beautiful too they've, they've received stored it uh, a company called indie collect which has been specializing in picking up a lot of like independent films that kind of just 
fell into obscurity and they've been restoring them right from the original camera negative and everything so it looks gorgeous so why is there a kino release of in search of kundun which was included <laughs> on the blu-ray of kundun which was came out a month ago ah uh, because i think they didn't include that on the dvd release of kundun so this is a dvd only this one. is a dvd only oh, okay, so, so yeah i think so this is the documentary about martin scorsese making kundun so yeah the blu-ray set of kundun was like a deluxe two disc edition came with this a bunch of special features the dvd was just a one disc and didn't come with like anything i don't think except for maybe like a commentary um so i guess that's why they're putting it out by itself i don't know why they didn't just do a two disc dvd of kundun but yeah, you know. they want people's money uh so we also have the pink panther cartoon collection is this the complete pink panther yeah speaking of you know putting everything they've released into a box set once they've all come out the Pink Panther cartoons are all here. All right. I don't know who are fans of them, but they're out there, obviously, because these Pink Panther cartoons won't stop coming out. Yeah, they released six volumes of this, and I, I'm sorry if you bought all six of these volumes, because now they're just all in one more reasonably priced set. So we also have a Claude Saudet, Rami Schneider double bill, César et Rosalie et les choses de la vie, released by Film Movement. Oh, we're done with Yeah, Kino. we're done. We still have a million movies, so we still got to keep moving, Mark. We're still running. We're still running. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I I keep holding us up. All right. Yeah, how dare you share this important information and don't just list it (laughs) off like I want you to force you to do. Um, I have not seen either of these films, though, but I know they are a pretty big deal. I'm actually not too familiar with Clausete. Have you seen? Yeah, I know he's kind of a big deal in art house circles. Um, But yeah, and these are kind of his two biggest films, I would say. Les Choses de la Vie has never really come out on DVD before, so it's kind of a big deal. You big Andre Zulowski fan, because L'Importance et Demi is coming out from Film Movement as well. Yeah. Well, this film is actually the only one of his films I've seen apart from Possession, which everybody's seen. But um, I need I want to get into his stuff more because I really love both Possession and this film. Obviously, this is a lot different than Possession. That's like a horror movie. A lot of his other stuff is just kind of like strange, just surreal, very dramas. like um, I don't I'm, I want to use the overbaked, not as a negative, but like really intense dramas. Yeah, they're melodramatic. I remember this film being, I saw it on DVD years ago, and I remember it being really melodramatic and like just a lot of shouting. Yeah. In I mean, it that's every one of his films, uh, like La Femme Publique yeah, and The Devil. and Totally. What is The Sailor Who Fell from Grace with the Sea, which is being released by Scorpion? So this is kind of a cult film. It's uh, based on a book by uh, uh, Yukio Mishima. And it was an adaptation done in the 70s. I can't remember who the director was, but it's with uh, Chris Christopherson. I guess it kind of I was wondering whether to put it in cult or classic because it's kind of got a cult following, even though it's kind of like a prestige picture, too, uh, about, I think, a boy who wants to get revenge on the man who's dating his mother or something like that. I've never actually seen this film, but it's strange because Shout Factory actually put this out a couple of years ago already. And now Scorpion's putting it out again in like a special edition. So I guess they got a few more special features, but the Shout Factory edition is still readily available, too. So I don't know if you already have that edition. I'm not sure how much more of an upgrade okay, this is. Running through these, we got Romance on the High Seas, a new Michael Curtiz joint, a new one, but uh, a Michael Curtiz joint yeah. released by <laughs> Warner Archives. Who doesn't love that guy? Laurel and Hardy, the de- definitive restorations being released by Kip Parker. Kip Parker's still around? They are, yeah. They're still cranking stuff out. And this is actually, we've gotten a lot of demand for this set. I guess this contains a lot of their bigger films, which hadn't been available on Blu-ray much before. So this is like a new, it says it's record, it's like 2K 
decay restored and everything. So, and it's got a lot of the classic Laurel and Hardy joints on there. So this is this is a big set for Laurel and Hardy heads out there. We also got Harry Langdon at Hal Roach, the Takis, the 1929-1930 Harry Langdon films. And we got three serial releases from BCI, Gordon of Ghost City, The Phantom Rider, and Jungle Queen. Yeah, serials. <laughs> yep. I have I have zero familiarity with serials. I <laughs> can't make the time to watch them. They're too long. Yeah, they're too long. But old people We have love two them. more releases from VCI, part of their Mexican restoration line, which I just wish had special features because I need to know more about these movies. We I got, know. We talked about these a little before in the past with some of the horror stuff they released, but these are more dramas coming out. Uh, La Baraca, a 1945 film, and Una Familia de Tantas, a 1949 film. Uh, I guess they're famous because if they're part of that... Yeah, um, they're, they're both considered classics of Mexican cinema, both like part of the Mexican Cinema Museum. I, th- I can't remember what the name of it is. We also but. have Peter Greenway's Rembrandt's Jacuzzi uh, being released. Uh, we could talk about Peter Greenway. We don't have time, Mark. <laughs> I know, I know. This was kind of a companion piece to Night Watching, which was a bigger film that he made around that time with Martin Freeman and everything. I saw that movie when it came out. Frankly, thought it was kind of boring. So I don't know. This one's more of a documentary. He was just really obsessed with Rembrandt at that time. We got two MVD uh, trash films from the same company that put out Possession, Even Money, which has an amazing yep. cast. Kim Bassinger, Ray Liotta, Kelsey Grammer, Danny DeVito. <laughs> oh, a novelist, an aspiring magician, and the brother of a basketball star must find a way to pay off their debts. Yeah, I've never seen this. It's directed by Mark Rydell, though. You know, he, he directed some things. And yeah. uh, one of the million movies to be called Haven. You know what? I really like this film. I'll be brief, but this is a film with... You know, I can see why it came out as part of this Crash Guys company, because it is very Crash-like. It takes place on, I can't remember what Caribbean island, but it takes place on a Caribbean island. Uh, It's with Orlando Bloom, Anthony Mackie, a bunch of stars. Bill Paxton's in it. A bunch of stories to do with crime and everything. They all interlock. Honestly, this is a pretty cool movie. It never really got much uh, acclaim when it came out, but I would say if you want a good, like, interlocking story crime movie... Well, that's all the Blu-rays we have on the Bay Street Video Podcast. Uh, Oh, no, wait, I just scrolled (laughs) down. (laughs) Ah, new movies, Jesus. Here, why don't I take the lead on this part? Do it! So, for new movies, we have got Buffaloed, which is a new film with Zoe Deutsch, who you might know from Everybody Wants Some, the Richard Linklater movie. And it's got our friend Jai Courtney, who I feel like we talk about from time to time. Yeah, it's something, she plays like a debt collector or something in Buffalo, or I don't know. It got, it got a lot of acclaim, indie film, it's from the director of Hysteria, I don't know. So next up, we got uh, Last Moment of Clarity, kind of a generic looking thriller with, uh, but... Is there like a million Samara Weavings making movies? Because she seems to star in like 10 films a yeah, year. Yeah, I think it's one of those movies where she uh, somebody's wife dies and then he thinks he sees her again. You know, it's one of those kind of movies. But Udo Kier's in it, so that could be a plus. Uh, then we've got The Postcard Killings, which is a like a American Scandinavian crime thriller with Jeffrey Dean Morgan. <laughs> Uh, and it's from, directed by Danny, Danny Tanovic, who used to be like a acclaimed director who made uh, No Man's Land, which was nominated for a foreign film Oscar years ago. But now he's making crappy thrillers. Uh, next up, we've got The Cat and the Moon, which is the directorial debut of Nat Wolf, that creepy looking kid from Hereditary. <laughs> so he's directing and starring in this indie drama. I don't know. I heard good things about it, but I have not seen it. Uh, and then we danced is a foreign film, which I honestly can't remember what it's it is. It's about people dancing. 
Next. It's supposed to be really well acclaimed. It is from... Oh, it's got some ABBA music in it, apparently. Uh, it's a Georgian film. I know. It's a Georgian film, actually, and you don't get a lot of Georgian films, so how about that? Uh, Incitement is a... Israeli thriller directed by Yaron Zibberman. It played at the Toronto International Film Festival, and that's all I got. Right. It's from the director of A Late Quartet, which was a film with oh, Philip yeah. Seymour Hoffman and Christopher uh, Walken, which so I know... So many quartet bo- movies. Yeah, boomers really liked at the time, so yeah, there's that. Uh, Leto, 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 I don't know if it's like Jared Leto or not, I'm not sure. But, <laughs> Is uh, it a film about him? A, it's a Russian film about a, tri- a love triangle in like a Russian rock band or something. It looks pretty cool. It's filmed in black and white. I heard a lot of good things. Uh, Beecham House is a British miniseries from uh, Gurinder Chadha, who uh, made Bend It Like Beckham, Blinded by the Light, stuff like that. So if you're into British stuff, I think it's probably supposed to be good. <laughs> uh, Miss Fisher and the Crypt of Tears. Miss Fisher is a very popular Australian detective series. So this is a TV movie based on that. So all you Miss Fisher fans, come on out. And then we've got Terrifier. Have you seen this film? I have not. I heard it's very mean-spirited. It's an evil clown slasher film. Yeah, so it's an evil clown slasher film. It's been making the rounds on Netflix and streaming services for a while. It's finally coming out on disc. Uh, I think the clown is really creepy in this. The guy who plays the clown is awesome. I heard at one point he like pulls out a gun and shoots somebody. No, honestly, the guy who plays the clown is amazing the way he does it because it's all wordless. He never says anything. Uh, this film is disgusting, though, frankly, and like That's what I pretty heard. offensive. Yeah. I, I mean, and I'm I'm like all down for like a good gore fest here and there, but it's mostly just the violence against women doesn't really sit well with me. There's a lot of really gross moments. This was an epic. Uh, releases blu-ray that they sold direct so i guess that's why it's coming to blu-ray through a dread central yeah it's been around for a while we could just never get our hands on it but we got asked for it all the time there's definitely a cult for this film people love this and i think they're working on a sequel if i heard so yep that's what i heard too uh so we've got what the water's left behind which is another title from unearthed a newer film uh it's spanish i believe heard a lot of good things on the festival circuit but i have not seen it Uh, The Times of Bill Cunningham is a documentary about photographer Bill Cunningham, who's pretty much a legend. Um, They already made a movie called Bill Cunningham um, in New York, I think, or something like that, which was a big hit. So this is kind of a follow-up doc to that. Uh, What She Said, The Art of Pauline Kael. We finally get a Pauline Kael documentary. Are you a fan of her? Do you like Pauline Kael? To be honest, I haven't read much of her stuff. I just know about who she is and, like, what she thought about, like, big movies. But I'm not a big fan, but I I understand people that really like her. She's so mean. (laughs) Yeah, I always thought she was kind of mean-spirited, but I kind of don't mind that in critics. Um, The issue was that she was, like like a make it or break it critic right she like had so much power she really did yeah which can definitely cross a line so Uh, but i feel like it's been a long time coming for a documentary i'm surprised there hasn't already been a documentary made about her but uh but yeah here is one uh we got a few more documentaries coming up which i will just go through quickly uh the competition or le concours is a french documentary about a prestigious french film school which is really hard to get into it kind of follows a, a year in the life of students at that school. Uh, the Raft or Floten is a documentary about a weird group experiment that happened in the 70s where they put five men and six women on a boat together to like cross the Atlantic and it was supposed to be some like sexual desire experiment which clearly yeah probably didn't go very well. I don't know what the outcome was. It does sound fascinating. I would like to see this but uh, so it kind of Seems along line, the same kind of lines as like the Stanford prison experiment kind of thing, like those group experiments. 
Uh, Don't Be a Dick About It, which is coming out from oscilloscope, is kind of like a low-key, like, regional doc about just two brothers growing up in America. You know, one of those kind of naturalistic sort of docs. Uh, Midnight Traveler is a really intense doc from oscilloscope about a Afghan filmmaker, I believe, who... Uh, after getting death threats on him, he has to basically take his family and escape, and it kind of charts them on their refugee journey. So it's pretty intense stuff. Uh, after that, we've got Miss Purple from Oscilloscope. This is a drama from uh, Justin Chan, who started his career as an actor in the Twilight movies, but is now a director. He made previously made a film called Gook a couple years ago, which was a black and white kind of indie sensation about... Uh, a couple of Asian American brothers who run a uh, store, and during the LA riots in the early '90s, um, it didn't wasn't totally impressed with that film, but it definitely had a lot of style to it. So I've heard a lot of good things about his new one, uh, Two Times You or Dos Veces Two, which I'm probably mangling, is a Mexican Mexican fantasy drama. I haven't seen it yet, but it sounds really interesting. It's about like two couples who I think meet at a party or something, and then they get both get into accidents, and I think one uh, like the husband of one couple and the wife of one couple die so it's like the other two form a relationship something you know weird like that uh wallflower is an indie film that's kind of uh, american indie film based on the seattle capitol hill shootings which happened in 2006 i believe where a shooter basically went into a rave party and like shot up the place really horrible thing uh so it's one of those kind of like from what i hear it's kind of like a gus van sant you know what gus van sant did with elephant like that kind of thing you know uh, Water Lily Jaguar is directed by uh, is the directorial debut of Melora Walters, who is an actress who's probably most well known for being in Paul Thomas Anderson movies, uh, specifically Magnolia. She um, and this film is actually produced by Paul Thomas Anderson. So if you're a Paul Thomas Anderson fan, I know there's a lot of you out there. It's kind of this is like a low key drama. It stars James Le- James Legrosse, who I love, big fan. So it's a character piece about him. Um, so yeah, I, I would say check it out, you know, it kind of took a while to come out on disc, but I've heard really good things. Uh, Olympic dreams is a comedy with Nick Kroll. I don't know. It takes place in the Olympic village. It's a rom-com. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, then we got The Ghost of Peter Sellers, which is a documentary about Peter Sellers, uh, directed by Peter Medak, who I probably know best from his directorial work on Species 2. Well, what about The Changeling, man? Kidding. Come on. I know, The Changeling. Hey, I'm here too, in case you had forgotten people. I like this. I just listened to a podcast. I'm sorry. I was just chime in. Do, do you have anything to oh, say? Oh, I have about nothing these? to okay, say okay. on any of those titles. Well, chime in <laughs> if you uh, if you have anything. We've, we've only got yeah, a few Yeah, The Ghost of here. Peter Sellers is a real like hatchet piece where like Peter Mendak made a whole documentary about how much of an asshole Peter Sellers was on a film that Mendak directed. Oh, okay. Intre- yeah, because I was intrigued about this one because it has like a big subject matter, big director, but it didn't really get much of a release. It's kind of just like sneaking out there. So I was kind of wondering what the deal was the etruscan smile is uh basically a showcase for brian cox it's one of those like he's an aging scottish guy who did brian I don't cox know. pass away recently or is he still kicking no brian cox is still kicking he's still out there yeah so i don't know heard good things about this this has a bit of it's not a canadian film but it has a bit of a canadian connection it was co-written by michael mcgowan everybody's favorite director of score a oh, hockey musical God. and one and one week which score I'm sure is like a of. film that it should have like ended someone's career right <laughs> like that movie's so bad yeah it didn't even end know that career, uh, some of those songs are really hummable in like a really bad like i'm trying to think of there's like a song they sing when they're at the royal ontario museum 
I'm sure that's on like Take a Shot and something like that. Isn't like Nelly Furtado there? Yeah, Nelly Furtado's there. Remember George Strabalopoulos was part of it at the time. It was such a, it was like the opening gala film at TIFF that year, It right? was. It was such a funny, <laughs> there were ads for it everywhere when it came out. Uh, and then lastly, we've got Four Kids and It, which is a British kids film with a weird cast of uh, Paula Patton, Russell Brand, um, Michael Caine, I think, is actually in this. Well, reading the synopsis, four kids on a holiday in Cornwall meet a magical creature on the beach that grants some wishes. There's some real bottom-of-the-barrel family movie stuff. Yeah, you know the kind of movies yeah. that like Jim Wynorski and Fred Olin Ray direct? <laughs> I know. But you know what? This is a big deal in Britain. I think th- these are like are a big... Because I think they've done a few of these kind of movies, and they're all like a big franchise thing in Britain. Okay, finally, the last movie. Every time I get to the last movie, I'm like, what did Mark, you know, over the last few months, he's been putting like the real like uh, filet mignon at the bottom. Yeah, I saved the best for last. Force of Nature. Have you watched this one? Of course I've watched this one. (laughs) Okay, so everyone's favorite, uh, I guess, sexist, racist, uh, Holocaust denier, (laughs) Mel Gibson is back back on screen. I mean, he's never going to, he's just been accepted again, right? Like, he's never going to go away. You know what? But he's never really been accepted. I thought that he was going to have, like, a second wind after Hacksaw Ridge, but he was in, like, Cinestate movies, like... It, it didn't lead to him, like, making big theatrical films That's again. true. I guess he hasn't really taken off from there. And I mean, force him. And I mean, yeah, he's a horrible person. So I really don't care to see him take off again. I was just, I thought it was amazing. They were, like, welcoming him back to the Oscars and everything for Hacksaw Ridge. Oh, that was nuts. After everything that happened. Like, get out of here. I, I mean, it did lead to some amazing uh, gifts and snapshots of him sitting with oh, Vince I know, Vaughn. Right? Being like... <laughs> they should just hook up, you know, those two Republican assholes. <laughs> Uh, what if they got like married? They should That'd get be married so... at this point. They're like, it's just a Chuck and Larry scheme. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, Force of Nature is a piece of shit VOD movie. Uh, basically takes place in uh, Puerto Rico. So a lot of these films uh, from the producer, producing company Emmett Furlow Oasis, who do a lot of these VOD movies, are being shot in Puerto Rico right now, which is cool to oh, like. There's probably crazy tax Yeah, you know, and it's cool to see Puerto Rico. But the weird thing about it is because Trauma Center, which we talked about before, was also set here. The crazy thing about these. So they treat it like a hellhole, I assume? Well, not necessarily. But the crazy thing is they all star white people. And it's like these. Puerto Rico is populated by white people who only speak English and don't speak Spanish, apparently. So, which is kind of strange to me. This one stars, not only does this star Mel Gibson, it also stars everybody's favorite uh, abuser, Emil Hirsch, as well. So, you've got one. Uh, it's a shame he died after I making know. Speed Racer and can never I make know. any other movie after that. What a, com- what, a, what a combo of, like, horrible people, though. You got Emil Hirsch and Mel Gibson hanging out. Um, you've also got Kate Bosworth in here for what it's worth. Um, basically, it's ba- it takes place during... <laughs> the third horrible person, I know, Kate I Bosworth. Know. <laughs> uh, basically, it's trying to be timely because it takes place during a hurricane and... Emil Hirsch is trying to, he goes, gets called, he's a cop, he gets called to an apartment building where Mel Gibson's ornery old man, who was also a former cop, refuses to leave. He wants to stay in his apartment. While all this is happening, some thieves come in, they're trying to steal something from one of the apartments. It becomes this whole, like, showdown between, like, thieves and Emil Hirsch's cop, along with his partner and Mel Gibson, who takes action as a former cop. Um... 
this is a terrible movie. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what sounds to, great to me. To say about it. it sounds great. The acting's really terrible. It all looks really cheap. It all takes place in like apartments, so it almost just looks like a bunch of sets, frankly. Um, Emil Hirschman just looks tired and bloated these days. He's just he doesn't look good <laughs> at all. He's going real Devin Sawa. Yeah, he really is. The one kind of weird thing of note in this is it's directed by Michael Polish, who. Once Upon a Time was like a pretty acclaimed indie director in the 90s, along with his brother. He kind of came out of the American independent scene as like the Polish brothers, him and Mark Polish. Um, They made a film called Twin Falls, Idaho and North Fork and then kind of did some studio stuff. They made The Astronaut Farmer with Billy Bob Thornton, which kind of came and went really fast. Yeah, that one's not so great. But their earlier indie stuff was really good. They're they kind of they're two identical twins. They kind of look weird. They I don't know if you've seen Neil Jordan's The Good Thief, but there is um, they they're actually actors in it. They play like a couple of weird um, henchmen that are like twin henchmen in it. So I don't know. They they kind of had a weird sort of vibe. They made some cool movies, and then over the last fifteen years or so, he's just gone directly into like VOD crap like this. He made uh, a really bad horror movie with Wes Bentley and Kate Bosworth again because Kate Bosworth is his wife. So that's why she's in all of these. Ah. Uh, But he made one called Amnesiac with them, which is really bad. He made a Christian movie with Hayden Christensen and Kate Bosworth called 90 Minutes in Heaven, (laughs) where Hayden Christensen gets in a car accident. He dies for like 90 seconds or something and sees God. So he like comes back. Anyway, so it's just kind of strange to me. Some of these independent film directors who kind of like were part of the Sundance scene in the 90s are now directing VOD crap with Mel Gibson and Emil Hirsch. Mark, they have third homes they have to pay <laughs> off. So, like, you got to work, right? I know, I know. So, yeah, that's that's kind of all. I, wow, we made it. We made I'm it. glad you could uh, carry me on your back. If you look at the beach and there's only one set of footsteps, <laughs> it's because Mark was carrying me that last yeah. way. No, it's okay. I mean, you, you carried me through the classic stuff for most of it, so... I, I just chimed in with good movie or Barbara Stanwyck's great. So. And I'm glad we finished an episode where I can guarantee you that's the most Blu-rays we've ever talked about in one episode. Oh my God. Yeah. I think we, we <laughs> broke a new record. I'm, I'm physically <laughs> exhausted now from talking well, about all these. I never want to look at another Blu-ray in my life. <laughs> that's a lie. You know that. I know. Until next week. Until next Until week. Until next week. My name is Justin McLuhan. And I'm Mark Hansen. Keep on buying. And keep on renting. Please rent all these movies. Please! What you wanna watch. These movies and many more are available at your local video store.